Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. As we welcome you along to the uh, programme on, as I say, another very cold day and this cold snap, according to Met Aaron, is going to continue until at least tomorrow evening with low temperatures and uh, wintry showers. Now, temperatures are expected to get slightly warmer on Friday, but then Met Aaron are saying they could dip again on Friday night. But certainly we've got a cold, this cold snap lasting for today and tomorrow. And we are getting reports in of uh, sheltered areas uh, where and roads that haven't been gritted and some of the back roads are absolutely lethal this morning. So please drive with extreme care. All morning this morning on the news, the man whose body lay undiscovered in the house in Beecher Street in Mallow for some 20 years has now been identified. Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent is covering this story and Ralph joins me this morning. Good morning to you, Ralph. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome to the programme. Now, this is just such a sad story. What is now known about Tim, Timothy or Timmy O'Sullivan? Yeah, what we what we know is that he was originally from Carcivine in County Kerry and it appears that he has had gone to the UK with his family uh, when he was in his kind of early mid-teens. He spent a lot of his adult life in the UK, and for some reason he decided to move um, back to Ireland in the late 1980s, early 1990s, and he settled in Mallow. He had purchased that property on um, Beecher Street. It's basically, uh, what you'd describe it as an old townhouse, um, part of a kind of a long terrace there's a two story house beside it single story house on the other side um, and he had lived there really through the, the 1990s um, unfortunately he seems to have suffered from some mental health issues so there are medical issues in, in that regard and then suddenly around 2001 2002 he just vanished now everyone thought locally that he had gone back to England given the fact that he had spent most of his adult life there Um, And for some strange reason, there doesn't seem to have been any further investigation in terms of the physical property. It doesn't appear as if anyone went into that property over the the next 20 years, despite the fact that the property, as it aged and got derelict, it became an issue of of major concern for people living locally. Now, we understand that one of the issues that, that people were very concerned about was 
that in the kind of back garden or rear area of the property, there was a significant rodent infestation. And locals were really concerned about it, looked for the council to do something. Yeah, and so that's, think, that's often associated with um, with derelict properties. So I know it, it, for, for people living in the area who did know him and, and remembered uh, Timmy O'Sullivan, you know, people talk about a very quiet man who kept to himself. And that possibly then <coughs> would explain why when he suddenly wasn't seen anymore, he wasn't really missed because he'd kept no. so much to himself. Yes, I think there are a number of factors. I think Sean Sherlock... Um, very eloquently addressed a lot of the issues because I think, first of all, there's, there's certainly an element of guilt, I think, w- within a community in that, you know, could we have done something? Should we have acted earlier? And in fairness, there's a lot of reasons why people wouldn't because this man wasn't from the area. He had spent most of his life overseas. He wasn't involved in any clubs, association, groups like the GA or soccer club or anything like that where he'd be missed. By his very nature, he was a very private, almost reclusive individual, very polite, very nice man, but wasn't really involved with anyone that would miss him if he suddenly vanished. And I think people just didn't have the reason to say, where is he gone or, you know, is he okay or whatever like that. Has something happened? And and there is huge shock and upset in the area, Ralph, over it. I think there is, because Mallow, I mean, I, I would have a lot of relatives in Mallow and it's a great town, a very proud town and there's a lot of great clubs, associations there and like as several people I've spoken to, I mean, Liam Madden has said it and a number of other local politicians said everybody has, every, everybody tries to have everybody's back in Mallow. It's that type of community where people try to look out for one another and I've noticed that over the years we've covered many difficult stories in Mallow and the way the community has rallied to support each other really is reflective of the very best of, of Irish communities. So I think people are concerned that this could have happened locally. I suppose a lot of people look at these type of things and think it's it's something that happens in a big city where you've large transient populations. People may not know each other. There's a lot of people coming and going. But the sad re- what what's what's unique really about this story, Patricia, is the length of time. Yeah. I mean it's astonishing that this this poor man had been there for undiscovered for twenty years, possibly more, 21 years. But these type of things, sadly, are not that unusual in Irish society or even European societies. I mean, I remember a case back in 2009 where a man was discovered in a flat in Cork City. Now, he'd only been there undiscovered for about two to three months, but his body was mummified when he was recovered. And then, of course, just last year alone, you had a man discovered in a property in Dublin who was living alone. He had been dead for over a year before he was discovered. And then you had a very high-profile case in South Tipperary last summer, which I covered. I was actually up there at the time. And you had an elderly man and woman who were living in a rural cottage. And it's believed that they were dead for somewhere between 18 and 20 months before they were discovered. And in that particular case, what people thought was those people had worked overseas. And people thought that when one of the COVID lockdowns eased, that they had gone back overseas to yeah. visit their family. Yeah, it's it's so easy to explain away why why people don't get concerned. It is, and I suppose look, there's elements as well that people like to respect the privacy of their neighbours. They don't want to seem to be nosy. I mean, they may have concerns, but they can be explained away by quite reasonable things. So. I, you know, in fairness, if you look at the situation in Mallow, there was a lot of reasons why people 
didn't really have that little stimulus to say, look, there's something not right here, or maybe we should check it out. And I think, you know, it is sad. Like, if you look any for any of your listeners that have seen the photographs of the properties, it's quite a, a, a powerful image by Dara McSweeney of Provision in The Independent today, where there's a lovely bouquet of flowers yeah. at the front of the door. But on the door, you have several council notices. Yeah. So you can see that the council had been trying for some period of time to trace and contact the owner because of the condition of the property, little realising that the owner was actually dead behind yeah, it. And, and OK, it, it had the, has it been confirmed that the property was owned by, by Mr O'Sullivan? Yes, we understand yeah. that the property had been has, purchased. I has think, he to, any family members? Do, are, are, do we know? Are there families still in Carasalveen, for example? No. I, I, again, that, that's not been clarified or confirmed, Patricia. I would assume that there probably are very distant relatives somewhere, but, but I don't think that there are any immediate relatives because obviously they would have been in a position to maybe raise the alarm. I think we have to remember as well that had this man lived, he would be in his early to mid-80s at this stage. So obviously siblings and stuff may no longer be around. And given, I suppose, the privacy with which he lived his life, he may not have had many dealings with relatives or family or whatever. We simply don't know. I mean, certainly one of the things that's going on at the moment is that Gardy are hoping to try and trace relatives uh, in respect of, you know, possible future funeral arrangements yeah, or whatever. Yeah, And of course, we they were able to, the Gardy were able to establish that he was there for at least 20 years because of items in the house dated to the early noughties, I believe. That's right, yeah. Um, essentially, there was a very careful forensic examination of the property and there were a number of, I think, letters and newspapers inside which all corresponded to 2000, 2001. And there was also a number of items of, of, of very badly degraded food found in the property. Um, but the, the actual best before labels on those all correspond to 2000, 2001. Oh, so the, the, the belief is that, the, you know, they would have been there in the period that the man um, tragically died. Yeah. Now, the one thing I suppose to stress as well is that the remains were taken to the Morgan Cork University Hospital and the assistant state pathologist, Dr. Margaret Bolster, conducted a full post-mortem examination. And really from the very beginning, Gardy did not believe that there was anything suspicious about this death and the post-mortem confirmed that, that foul play was, was not a factor in and this. And I believe he was, he was found in his bed, so hopefully he just drifted off to sleep and that was it. He died, he died in his sleep. Because yeah, we, you would certainly hope yeah, that Yeah, yeah. OK, and just very finally, does anybody know when and who boarded up the house? No, that's another factor that we're, we're trying to ascertain. It, it's unclear whether it was done for safety reasons because some of the windows had been broken. Again, we're trying to clarify that of precisely who, who boarded up the windows and when it happened. It's believed that it was done for safety reasons, but again, it does seem quite extraordinary that if that was the case, if windows were broken, that there wasn't some attempt to gain entry to the property to see was the person involved okay or whatever. And again, extraordinary that a person could lay dead in a property for 20, over 20 years and not be discovered. Yeah. All right, listen, uh, Ralph, as always, thank you for that and uh, thanks for joining us on the programme. Thanks for Uh, Good morning to you. That is Ralph uh, Regal, who is the Southern Correspondent with the Irish Independent. And uh, just to... Timmy uh, O'Sullivan uh, may he rest in peace some of your commentary coming in particularly with regard uh, to the naming of this uh, poor gentleman who had lain dead for we they expect about uh, 20 years in the house in Mallow somebody uh, somebody said how can you not know somebody's dead for 20
20 years where there not have been a smell or rodents around. Well, there would have, I suppose, initially been a smell, but it was inside in a sealed house, in, in a house, and that smell obviously would eventually have, have dissipated. But the rodents, you're right on the rodents, the fact that it became a derelict house, the neighbours were starting to get worried because there was rodents in the garden. And that's one of the reasons that the council moved in with their compulsory purchase order and one of the reasons why the council workers went into the house last Friday they were trying to block up the shores and any holes that were in the property to stop to try to stop the rodent uh, uh, issue and someone else said odd that the property was boarded up with a body inside that's the big question mark at the moment as to who boarded up the property and when was the property actually uh, boarded up as Ralph said it could possibly have been because uh, because it was a derelict house maybe the windows started getting smashed and so somebody took it upon themselves I don't we don't know if it was the council or not but nobody seems to know why it was boarded up without checking to see if there was anybody uh, inside 0818103103 and just back to road conditions a concerned parent was on to say Patricia the roads this morning up by the Whale skull to Moshtovish in Mallow were absolutely shocking. The small boreen, which is where the drop off is for the children for the school, was like glass. I could hardly get up. I then had to wait 30 minutes in my car in order to get back down because I was fearful my car would slip and that might hit one of the children walking up the boreen. My question is why are the roads around schools not gritted? If not, why does the school open so early? If I'd known how bad the roads were going to be, I certainly would not have put my own uh, children in danger. We're going to get on to the council just to ask about that, about the, we know that the major roads are uh, gritted, but should they not have some kind of scheme in place that they grit around schools? I mean, this is just one particular school that this sister is talking about, the Gwail School in Tomosh and there's also a secondary school, Davis College is also uh, in that area as well. And it's an area I know because I live in that area and the roads were lethal this morning I have to say I crawled out of my estate hoping and very conscious and aware that children were crossing the road and trying to get to the various uh, schools so I don't know if that's something that the councils need to start considering into the future that when they are out gritting and I know the council workers work so hard gritting the roads but do they need to also start looking at roads that are leading to schools uh, to make those roads and footpaths safe for the parents and for the children 0818 103 103 and just staying on weather conditions, the listener wants to know um, the 45 car drive in Rock Chapel Community Centre in is cancelled tonight due to weather conditions. That's the 45 car drive. Rock Chapel Community Centre has been cancelled uh, because of what's forecast for later on this evening. If anybody else obviously has any other cancellations, get them into us and um, for our community diary for later on. Government encouraging more and more of us to make the switch to electric cars. Some people express nervousness about what would happen if your battery ran out of charge. So I was really interested to hear that two members of AA Ireland decided to drive from Mizzenhead in beautiful West Cork to Malinhead in an electric car and they did it without having to stop to charge the battery once. Blake Boland of AA Ireland joins me to discuss how the journey went. Good morning to you Blake. Good morning Patricia uh, yeah, thank no, you for having me on. Well you're very welcome to the programme. Now uh, Mizzen to Malin is I think just over 600 kilometres. I've done many interviews with people who cycle it uh, for charity uh, etc. As far as you know has anyone ever driven it in an electric car without recharging? 
not that we know of. We're very happy to, for someone to put their hands up and correct us and say they've actually done it. But we, we've scoured the internet and we've spoken to a couple of the EV groups and we haven't heard of anybody doing it on a single charge. I did it myself there a few months ago, but I did have to stop. Uh, but this, as far as we know, is the first time it's been okay, done. OK, well, well done. Well, well done. Were you, were you nervous that you might not make it? Uh, yes is the straight answer. If we did this in summer, the car would have breezed through it. No problem. It's a fantastic machine. But in winter, uh, with the conditions that we had, so it was only five degrees Celsius um, setting off. There was 30, 40 kilometer an hour winds, very, very heavy rain all day. And as you know, this time of year, a lot of darkness as well. So it was a bit of a challenge. And to be honest, about halfway through the trip, I was, I was if I was a betting man, I would say we were not going to make it. <laughs> so weather conditions affect an electric car then, do they? They would, yeah. The same as a petrol or a diesel as well. You know, the wet roads um, are going to uh, just slow it down that little bit, just uh, hurt efficiency. Um, and then the winds as well were very, very strong. They were crosswind mostly, so it didn't hurt us that much, but it certainly didn't didn't help. And at this time of year, temperatures are lower. Even petrol and diesel drivers will notice that their, their range or their efficiency goes down just a little bit. OK, so it was this day last week, wasn't it? Was it last Wednesday you did the drive? That's right. Yeah, yeah. This this day last week, we were um, where were we? Maybe uh, maybe an hour into the trip or so. At this stage last week, yeah. So was it non-stop, or did you stop for food and rest breaks along the way? We did stop a little bit. So you, you know, being the DAA, we kind of have to uh, put our best foot forward, and it would be irresponsible of us just to, to drive. You know, the RSA recommends you only drive a certain period of time. So we set ourselves the rule of look two hours, and then myself and, and Paddy Coleman. We would have swapped over after a maximum driving of about two hours or, or thereabouts. Um, and then obviously a couple of toilet breaks and grabbed a coffee and uh, and stuff like that on the way as well. And how long did it take from start to finish? Many hours? Yeah, well, driving time itself was nine hours and five minutes. Nine, wow, then, okay. Yeah. Uh, that was yeah. keeping all within the speed limit and all of that. Now talk to me about the car that you use and the size of the battery. Oh, it's incredible. It, it's the Mercedes-Benz EQS, the 450 plus to be precise. So this is their flagship car. Uh, hugely expensive, but hugely impressive. And it has a 120 kilowatt hour battery. So, you know, we're all used to petrol and diesel cars. And we might say I've got a 50 litre tank or so. Uh, with, a, with an electric car, you've got a battery in it. And we measure that in, in units of electricity that we're all kind of used to seeing on our electricity bills. So this car has a battery of 120 and then 108 kilowatt hours of that is usable. They keep a little bit in, in reserve in the buffer there to protect the battery. So if you were to work out the cost then of the actual journey, the electricity cost... Oh, yeah. Well, you know, unfortunately, there's no straight answer to that because with petrol and diesel, we're used to, you know, you might go down the road and save yourself three or four cents on a litre. But with electricity, you could theoretically be charging for free off solar on your roof. But if you have a night rate meter, uh, that journey would have cost us about 13 euros, wow. which is incredibly cheap. Now, most people won't have that. They might have regular, you know, just 24-hour bills, in which case it would have cost us 25 or 30 euros. And I suppose if you wanted to be uh, look at the worst case scenario if you charged exclusively on high powered chargers, you know, the most expensive in the country, then you're looking at about 70 euros, give or take. But still, you could, I, still less yeah. than what you would pay for diesel or petrol. It's le- yeah, yeah, I mean, the average person just charging at home would be doing that for a, a fraction of what you would have paid on, on petrol or diesel. And that's before you, you count maintenance uh, over time as well. And you made it with what, what was left on the battery when you pulled into, into, <laughs> into Malinhead? 
Oh, there was very little, Patricia. We, we, we had 3% left when we got to Malin Head and uh, we were still a little bit nervous, I must admit, because we had to get back to our B&B. Um, so we arrived to our B&B then with 2% battery remaining. And then how did you charge for the following day to get home? Yeah, well, that's one of the great things about about EVs and that they're quite versatile in that sense because there's um, there's a cable that comes with, with all the cars and it's just a three-pin socket. Now, it's not the nicest of terms, but people call it the granny cable. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, just a three-pin socket, the same as your, it draws about the same amount of power as your kettle would at home. So what we did is we put um, that into a socket in the B&B. The, uh, the, the guys up at Malinhead, uh, the B&B were kind enough to let us put a cable in through the window and overnight we put in about uh, it was just under 200 kilometres charge overnight by, by to, the time we set off the next to get, day to, to, to get you home and if yeah. you had needed to charge along the way uh, Blake without having to knock on somebody's door saying can I plug that in are there enough, was, would there have been enough charging points did you come across charging points along the way there are a few there, yeah. I mean, the West Coast wouldn't be particularly well served um, if you're going Dublin to Cork or Galway to, to Dublin, something like that. You're not too bad. You might have to queue a little bit every now and again, but they're they're pretty well served at the moment. But the West Coast is not, not as good. So we probably would have to, to nip into Galway for 20 minutes or, or something like that. You know, in a car like we had, it's just incredibly, um, it's a fantastic car, but it's very, very expensive as well. It's not accessible to the vast majority of people. But uh, yeah, if you had a much smaller battery, um, you would have to plan it a little bit. You know, we definitely need more chargers. The, the, the government and, and private enterprise uh, between the garages and, and various companies do, do need to do a little bit more to help the adoption of EVs for sure. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw in the papers today that um, electric vehicle drivers will have access to chargers on all main roads every 60 kilometres. Now, that's under plans that's uh, going to go to the Cabinet today. I mean, that's that's what we need, isn't it? At least every 60 kilometres, you're guaranteed you'll have access to a charger. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the other thing as well, it's having the right chargers in the right places. So it's if we if you put one charger every 60 kilometres and you're trying to serve X amount of cars, that probably, that might not be good enough. So what we actually need is hubs of chargers. At the moment, they're quite sparse in terms of you might uh, find one or possibly two chargers on a site um, in general. And what we really need is 8, 10, 15 chargers. So, so that there's a good throughput of cars. And then if you do turn up and it's very busy, it's okay. You might have to wait five minutes. That's no problem. But the idea of turning up at a single one-off charger and there's two people in the queue ahead of you, which can happen at the moment, unfortunately, uh, that has to stop and we need hubs to, to prevent that. Okay. Now, as, as you mentioned at the outset, the, the particular Mercedes-Benz that you were driving is, is very expensive. How much, by the way, if I wanted to buy one new today? Do you know what it oh. is? Well, the starting price what? is a hundred. Starting price is one hundred and thirty-eight thousand, and the car that we had had a few nice little options. We had massage seats and we had extra screens, so I was able to play Tetris in the car while Paddy was oh. driving. Um, <laughs> and that cost a hundred and seventy thousand euros, one hundred and sixty-eight oh. to be precise. I'll, I'll, I'll have one of those. And the costs of electric cars. I mean, the Mercedes-Benz is, is at the upper end, obviously. Are they still as high? Any sign of them coming down? Um, yeah, they, they are coming down a little bit. And only last week, Tesla announced a massive price drop, um, as much as seven or 8,000 euros in, in, in some cases. But you're right, they're still more expensive, but we are being given cheaper options now. So the likes of the MG4 has a, a solid a real-world range of 300 kilometres, and you can get into that for less than 30,000 euros. So there's definitely a good few options out there. 
Um, they're still a little bit more expensive, but then again, it's a product that's hugely in demand. We don't have the supply. Uh, some waiting lists are out to nearly a year, so the, the incentive to drop prices when you've got queues yeah. out your door for a product um, may, maybe isn't there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, parity is coming, um, and the prices are getting a little bit more competitive compared to petrol and diesel, but they are still more expensive. For and sure. st- somebody's asked a question, how long will, will it be before we start to see second-hand EVs on the market? Yeah, it's a great question. They they do exist. They're out there, but there's there's just not enough. It's going to take a long time to uh, to get that second hand market going. So there's in and around sixty, seventy, eighty thousand um, cars, EVs on the road at the moment, um, and you know we obviously have a lot more cars than that in the country. Um, and even last year, we only sold a, a few thousand cars. You know, in and around fifteen thousand EVs. So it's going to take a long time for those to filter through. And unfortunately, with with Brexit um, and the uh, the consequences of that we're seeing far far fewer used evs coming into the country and mm-hmm. unfortunately a couple of businesses actually that were importing them uh, just closed their doors great businesses but just hampered yeah, by by brexit because i think that will make a difference i think when the second hand more second hand was on the market i think more people might start because i think a lot of people like the idea of driving an electric car but it's 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 the cost and just on cost petrol and diesel it, it seems to have stagnated the cost of petrol and diesel, even though I passed a garage uh, this morning now that's gone up since yesterday uh, morning. Uh, wh- what's, the, what's your feeling about petrol and diesel prices at the moment? Yeah, you're right that they have stagnated a little bit. So um, uh, Paddy and, and myself, we were, were processing the, the January results for, for, the, for the national average for prices. So we, we'll have that out. That'll be available for us in the next day or two, hopefully. Um, and it looks like they've stagnated a bit. But um, we're, we're, we're going to see a little bit more turbulence over the next few months. So the, the, the ban on Russian products is, is, is on the way. Um, there's talk of that uh, the little the relaxing of the, the duty that we had from the government a few months ago. That might be taken away the coming months. Yeah, I so was the, I was reading today that that could put an extra 11 euro on a full tank of uh, petrol. It's due to go back the the excess duty due to go back on the first first of March. That's that's what we're hearing. So, um, I mean that, uh, yeah, that that could well happen. All right, and, and it'd be a little uh, little bit of an increase there, but uh, potential. It, the potential from the Russian ban is really what we're keeping an eye on, and we might find that uh, products are, are still making their way to the country, but that they might have to go a, quite a circuitous route around. They might have to be exported to to somewhere like India and then re-imported again, and that extra travel for for the fuel, for the petrol, and especially the diesel, uh, could could be an issue. But um, look, we uh, we we can't see into the future. Yeah. Uh, we don't have that ability, so we don't know for sure. But um, yeah, we're we're going to be watching it. Yeah, we're not uh, we're not out of the woods yet on fuel prices is basically what you're saying for sure yeah yeah, yeah. we, we would have right. to see okay well well done on the journey last week uh blake and thank you for that and joining us this morning on the program you're more than welcome thank good you good morning to you bye-bye that is blake boland of the aa uh, ireland who along uh, with his uh, colleague paddy common did that great drive from Malin to mizzen but the wonderful luxury of the car they were driving, but they didn't have to charge it at once. Threshold, the housing charity, has said it prevented 2,326 adults and children from being made homeless late last year after over half of eviction notices served on tenants were found to be invalid. Joining me from Threshold is Anne-Marie O'Reilly, who is their National Advocacy Manager. Good morning to you, Anne-Marie. Good morning. And you're welcome. Now, when, when we're giving those figures, we're 
we're talking about a very short enough period. It's a period from mm. October to uh, December. Mm-hmm. Um, it's incredible that that many people could have been served notices that were invalid just in that small period. But anyway, um, can you outline for us what were some of the reasons why the termination notices were deemed invalid? So there's a, a number of things that have to be included in a notice of termination for it to be valid. Uh, some things that uh, probably sound quite simple. Um, the date on which it is served, um, the date of which the tenancy will end. Um, it, the landlord has to give the person the correct notice period and that will depend on how long the person has been in the tenancy. So that can be anything from 90 days to eight months. Um, it has to, if, if the notice is, for example, for sale of the property, it must include a statutory declaration. And in addition, a landlord is now required to send a copy of the notice to the Residential Tenancies Board for it to be valid. So there's a few different elements. And um, the notice will depend on the tenancy itself and the reason. Uh, why the landlord is ending that tenancy. And I was just thinking, though, the mental and emotional stress for mm-hmm. those families, so close mm-hmm. to Christmas, Amory. Mm. So fortunately, then, we had the moratorium of ev- on evictions in place. So anyone who was due to move out of their home um, between October and it actually runs till the end of March has had a, had a stay on that. Uh, so they, they weren't required to move out. Um, so that's given them more time to look for another another home, uh, fortunately. Now, a landlord could still issue a notice of termination during that time period. Uh, so while you may not have to move out in the run-up to Christmas, receiving such a letter yeah. is still going to be quite a shock. Oh, un- un- unbelievable. And, and your office is, Anne-Marie, mm-hmm. busier than ever? As, yeah, as, as busy as ever. Um, and the, the issue with the ter- notice of the termination has um, increased considerably. Um, you know, last year we were assisting on average about 450 people a month who'd received a notice of termination from their landlord. And that's almost double what we were seeing prior to um, COVID-19. So it really has escalated. And with the prop- you know, rental sector... Um, becoming quite tight with so few properties advertised to rent it has really put renters in a very difficult stressful situation yeah it isn't a simple thing that if you're asked to leave your property oh well, i'll just go rent uh, mm. so, uh, uh, somewhere else and uh, and i'm assuming that many people who are living in private rented accommodation do they live with that constant fear of they're going to get a letter they're going to get a phone call they're going to get an email about a termination notice that has started to creep in for many people. Um, Threshold did a piece of research a couple of years ago with Dr. McBurn from UCD, and that was one of the findings from the interviews he did, that sense of uncertainty, that insecurity. I think one of the quotes was, I didn't even unpack my bags properly or my boxes properly. Um, you know, So it, it, it's awful that people feel that way. But I guess what we really wanted to get across in this report is people do have rights, however. So um, like you pointed out at the, the beginning, many of those notices were not valid, which means the person doesn't have to move out. And so if somebody gets in touch with Threshold, one of the advisors will look at that notice and give the person the advice that is particular to their situation. 
And are you extremely worried about the high number of landlords who are exiting the market? And we had that uh, report out from the surveyors this week showing the numbers of uh, houses that are currently private rented and landlords deciding, oh, good time to sell, we're going to get out of the market. And, and uh, what, what do we need to do about it? Yeah, it's, it is highly concerning. As I said, like we, re- we really saw a shift in that at the beginning of 2022. So Treasurer has put forward a couple of recommendations to government in this regard. Um, you know, either to keep pe- landlords in the sector, you know, um, or to keep tenants in the home or both. You know, so we've suggested where a landlord is selling that they truly do want to exit the sector that um, an incentive be put in place for them to sell directly to a local authority or approved housing body who would then be able to offer a secure long-term tenancy to the sitting tenants. Um, alternatively, you know, there's been a lot of talk about um, reduced tax on rental income for landlords. Our position is if the government decides to do that, it has to come hand in hand with greater security for those renters. So if a landlord uh, is to avail of a reduced tax, well, they must provide a long-term lease, a minimum of 10 years, maybe 15 years, to that tenant. And in in such lease agreements, there would be a greater responsibility placed on the tenant for the maintenance of the property. So it would be advantageous and probably attractive to some landlords out there to go down that route. And some of the people, Anne-Marie, that you um, have worked uh, with over the years, and, and particularly recently, have... Many and some of them have been renting the properties, you know, for anything up to 10 years. Yes, in the report, it's actually two of the cases we outline, it's there are people who've been at uh, 10 years in their home. So, one particular case is of an older man in the 70s, oh. Seamus. Yes, and it's incredibly challenging. Um, you know, there's some people who will find it harder than others, and unfortunately, an older person does find it harder to, to find another rental home. Um, so it's quite a challenge. So luckily, the moratorium on evictions has given him a longer time to find another place to live and possibly the local authority may be able to assist him, given his age. Goodness um, so me. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, so ha- pe- yeah. that's really heartbreaking. It, it really yeah. is heartbreaking. Yeah. And, yeah. and we, every now and again, Anne-Marie, will hear from some of our listeners who are afraid to contact their landlord yeah. about yeah. repairs. And they're afraid for fear that it might prompt a, a rent rise or even worse. Yeah. Yes, that's something else that we definitely hear from, you know, when renters get in touch and go, I was wondering about this, but I'm not sure I want to say anything. And there is that worry. So, again, it, uh, they can contact us and we can talk them through all their options um, and let them know, well, you know, if you raise the issue and then the rent goes up, we can tell them, well, actually, you they may be in a rent pressure zone. The landlord can't actually put the rent up by more than whatever it may be, 30, 40, 50 euro. Um, if the landlord then tries to evict them, we'll be able to look, well, you know, is this a valid eviction notice? And it may be the case the person wants us to call on their behalf, and we could do that either. Or they might decide, you know what, I'll... I leave for the time being. I'll have a think about it, and that's fine as well. And, and you know, the door will be open for them to come back to us then if they they want to or need to. But you know, renters do have rights. Uh, it can feel sometimes impossible to assert those rights and stand up for themselves. But you know, we're there. Like we assist almost twenty thousand people a year to do that, and the threshold advisors are experts in um, the legislation in people's rights, but also guiding people through. Uh, those those challenging circumstances.
Yeah, because each, each case will be different and, and will be looked at and viewed exactly. in its own, own merits. So so that, I assume, is your advice to anyone who mm. receives an eviction notice or, or even a steep rise in rent. Yeah, exactly, yeah, because we also see the same with rent uh, review notices. We find a lot of those to be invalid also. Um, in the report, we outline a situation of a lady who was paying a rent increase, uh, could, couldn't afford it, fell into arrears, was then to be evicted for those arrears and it turned out the rent increase was invalid. So she, in fact, didn't owe the landlord any money. And so we do come across more situations than we'd like where that has occurred. So, yeah, if it's a notice termination, if it's a rent review, if it's poor standards, if it's a difficulty getting a deposit back, if it's a landlord refusing to fill out the half paperwork, um, you know, we can we can assist with a broad range okay. of challenges. Okay, and just very finally, Michal, one of our listeners says, would you ask Anne-Marie, please, the eviction ban is due to expire at the end of March. Does she see that being extended? I would be surprised uh, because I, I, I imagine the government will have to get the advice of the Attorney General on whether they can do that. And it was um, it was actually very unusual that put the eviction ban in in the first place. So um, I would be surprised but um, the end of March has come around pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, homeless figures aren't getting any better. Um, so at the moment though I, I, I've not seen any indication that there's a plan to do it. Okay. We will wait and see. Anne-Marie, listen, thank you for that and I appreciate no you taking time out to talk to us. Good morning of to course. you. Thank that you. is uh, Anne-Marie O'Reilly, who is the National Advocacy Manager with Threshold. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. A lot of commentary coming in on the various topics that we have been discussing uh, today. On the one with uh, Threshold that we just uh, spoke about and the fact that just that short period from October to Christmas, the number of people who were saved from becoming homeless because their eviction notices, termination notices were uh, invalid. Somebody says, um, um, and then I was making the point that we one of our bigger problems are that landlords are trying to get out of the business of being landlords, particularly people who might only own one property. We have a lot of accidental landlords, people who never wanted to become uh, landlords. And there's so much red tape attached now to renting out a house that some people are thinking it's simply not worth it. And there is now a large number of people getting out of the private rented sector. And that's causing, of course, a huge knock on effect for people, for the tenants in those properties. And uh, Pat says, Patricia, uh, listening to your interview with great interest with Anne-Marie from Threshold, I'm a landlord and I've been a landlord for the last 20 years and I'm now exiting the market. Why? Because of high taxes. A 15-year agreement would be an incentive with a lower tax take such as agri-land and that might be an incentive for the likes of me to uh, remain. And certainly the government are aware that a lot of people who've been renting you know, this case now for 20 years and who are exiting the market, they know that they have to do something to try to incentivise people to stay in the business and to allow people to rent, particularly when we have a housing crisis and people either can't afford to buy a house or simply can't find a house uh, in which they can uh, that they can purchase in the area that they want to live in. And then somebody else, when we're talking about people who've been asked to leave their home, somebody said, I got a termination notice four months ago and I have to leave in four months. I simply have nowhere to go. Now, what I would suggest to you is, I don't know if you've already done this, is to get on to Threshold because they can talk you through your options and just make sure that the termination uh, notice is a valid. They have a free phone number that's open Monday to Friday from 9am to 9pm. It's one 800 
454-454 or if you go on to threshold.ie if you have access to the internet they've got they can, you can have a web chat with somebody there's lots of uh, information there as well and they can also just give you other options and maybe help you in some way to try to locate a property but it's living with that knowing that you have to leave the property or then as I said to Anne-Marie anybody in private rented accommodation always hanging at the back of their minds is going to be the case will my landlord decide to sell up and and will I lose the roof over my head so it's just it, and it's no way to live it really is no way to live 0818103103 morning Patricia following on from your conversation with Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent about the very very sad occurrence in Mallow regarding that deceased gentleman Tim O'Sullivan may he rest in peace in the derelict house I have to tell you my story I live on Main Street in Charleville and I'm living alongside a derelict house it's causing huge problems I brought this to the attention of Cork County Council to local politicians on several occasions and nobody seems to be doing anything about it we all know the issues with the derelict building I believe it belongs to an investment company that obviously have no respect for neighbours, residents or indeed the town itself. These properties are all over towns and villages and can I say cities, they're everywhere in Ireland and local authorities simply seem to be turning a blind eye. It's an absolute disgrace. After all, we are taxpayers paying our property tax. It is not fair to people who have to live beside derelict properties when the developers decide when developers decide not to do something with the property and then when they do they'll receive various different grants and tax breaks really really annoying and every time I mentioned early properties I'm always saying I feel so sorry for the people that have to live close by or uh, right beside them in defence of the local authority and God knows Cork County Council are well able to defend uh, themselves they do try I mean even when Ralph was talking about the property in Mallow pinned to the to the door of the house like a boarded up door that was there uh, was lots of notices from Cork County Council County Council their hands are kind of town they can't just simply decide okay today we're going to attack that derelict house and we're going to bring it up to scratch because obviously there's laws and rules around what they can do and what they're allowed to do and compulsory purchase orders and how compulsory purchase order works and trying to find out who owns uh, the property uh, it saddens me though if they know who own the property and it is an investment company and the investment company is deciding to do to do nothing I mean if they can directly go back to an investment company and say you know ship up or ship out here and do something with it and if they're not going to do something with it then slap on the compulsory purchase order my heart goes out to you though I, I have huge sympathy because it's just it, it's not easy and we know the house in Mallow the reason that the council ended up moving in was because neighbours were complaining about rodent infestation at the back of the house and you know the houses beside it and close by uh, were fearful that the rats were going to move on to another uh, property all I can say is you know he who shouts loudest keep on to the council keep on to your local public representatives get other people in the area because I, mean, I know you're the one directly beside the property but other people living uh, in, in that area are doing business because it's on Main Street are also must be affected by the derelict property so keep on and on and on and, and don't give up until something is done about it but yeah my heart uh, goes out to you uh, for sure and just staying on my chat with Ralph 
journalist Martin in Mitchellstown says about 25 years ago there was a similar story out of Mitchellstown. Two sisters had sadly passed away. Martin said he was cleaning the chimney of a neighbouring house and out of the back of the house they got a dreadful smell. Now they presumed at the time it was some kind of a dead animal or maybe a dead crow but in the end it turned out to be the two sisters. Uh, they'd each cared for each other and they obviously died you know, very close, close timing to each other. And sadly, nobody had been checking on them. They reckon they'd been lying in the house for uh, nearly a month. Yeah, the case, it was back in uh, 1997. And I remember following that particular case, people were told at the time to to check up on their elderly neighbours and friends. And listen, neighbours and people do try to do their best, but sometimes you can... People go off, go under the radar and people don't want to interact with neighbours and not everybody knows their neighbours and not everybody wants to intrude. And it's, it's huge sadness then when stories like that break, when, you know, body is found like that. It, it really is is dreadful. It's just so, so uh, sad. Uh, thanks, though, for your call to 0818 103 103. We spoke about electric cars. Now, a lot of people are saying with the price of electric cars and sure didn't the government encourage all of us to buy diesel cars and now we're driving around in diesel cars and they're saying, no, you shouldn't be driving diesel cars, it's electric cars, but it's the cost of the electric cars, I think, for everybody. Pat in Limerick says, Patricia, how is anybody uh, ever going to go and buy a second-hand electric vehicle? You will have no idea how good or bad the battery is and at the end of the day, if the ba- oh, we all know that the batteries fail after a while. The cost of the battery can be worth more than the car it's, itself. You can pay up to €15,000 to replace just the battery. Also, with the price of electricity increasing, I'll stick to my petrol and diesel at the moment, says Pat in uh, Limerick. But I suppose we all have hopes that the price of the Electricity will not remain as high as it is at the moment, but even allowing for increases in electricity, it still is cheaper if you can afford an electric vehicle. It still is cheaper to drive around in an electric car than it is what we're paying on petrol and uh, diesel. Uh, Morning, Patricia. I really enjoyed your brilliant discussion about the dogs yesterday and in particular that very kind hearted uh, gentleman, Tony, who contacted the programme to talk about how he and his wife have started fostering dogs for Dogs Trust and uh, how he spoke about, was it Polo was the name of the dog, that lovely collie who uh, was very, had very little life left and he took him on and gave him so much nurturing. I surely know after the years with my very difficult Jack Russell, who unfortunately also came from a very unsuitable environment and was very badly treated for the first four months of his uh, life. So I surely know what Tony was talking about. I saw very slowly but surely I saw the signs as time went on that he was gaining my trust today. I'm happy to see that my dog now has a very good life. Dogs, as another person to your programme yesterday said, have a right to be treated properly. We accept them into our homes. We deserve to look after them and they deserve that we look after them too. Well done to those people who spoke on your programme yesterday. Uh, really enjoyed the chat. Thank you for that. Uh, texting 86 103103. And then Patton for Moy is on about a completely different issue that we haven't addressed this morning. But this is to do with vaccine and vaccine uptake. Pat of Moy says, do you know that only 31% of the population have availed of a second booster? Is it as low as that? 
underlies that. Uh, Pat says that is a particularly low figure, particularly when you hear how we as a country were boasting, how good we were, were at the start. And remember at one stage we got to 75% of the population had been uh, vaccinated. But when you dig down through the figures, says Pat in Fomoy, the worst are those within the health service, with just a 25% uptake of people within the health service getting their booster. Why is the media and the doctors not giving out about this? Why can't the Irish nurses and medical organisation, who are so good to announce the trolley figures every day, why can't they come out and release the figures on the number of nurses and midwives who, for whatever reason themselves, are refusing to take the second booster? And I don't know what the reason for it is. I know there was always a problem in the past. I don't know if it's still the same today with the flu vaccine. There was always a low uptake on nurses getting the flu jab. Could never understand never fully understand the reasoning behind it because, you know, we knew coming into the winter months that we were going to get a flu. We knew, you know, we know every year it's going to arrive and anything you can do to protect yourself from becoming very unwell from it, you would surely have thought that those who work in the caring professions would be first out to roll up their sleeves and say, stick the vaccine in my arm. But there's always seems to be a problem there, certainly with the flu vaccine. But what I did read this morning for... uh, all of us who did get vaccines, particularly those who got the first vaccine, that some COVID-19 vaccines they've now proven may protect people from infections other than COVID-19. And it's producing a a phenomenon known as trained immunity. And this was in people after their first dose. It was research that was carried out by Trinity College in Dublin and they examined the impact of people who'd received the AstraZeneca vaccine and they found that when they were exposed to different bacterias, they had a better immune response than normal. That what they did was when the people were going along to get their AstraZeneca vaccine, a blood test was taken before they received the vaccine. Then they were called back in for another blood test two weeks later, then two months later, and then three months post the first uh, injection. And what the, what the researchers then looked, what they were observing the in, innate part of the immune response. Now that's opposed to the antibody response and the T-cell response, which is what people would have been looking for to see the reaction for COVID So the AstraZeneca vaccine was able to boost and promote innate immune responses in people for up to three months after the vaccination. And the lead researcher said what was happening was the responses was they, they were giving protection against unrelated infections, things like any bacterial infections that were not in any way COVID-19 related and the evidence suggested that definitely up to three months and in some cases as many as three months protection was uh, achieved. So an extra reason to make sure that you keep up to date with all of your COVID uh, vaccines. 0818 103 103 John Paul's taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. C103 Jobs. Carpenters are wanted for first and second fixing that's in Cork City and County. Also, an industrial electrician is required for Cork City. For any of those jobs, contact jobs at hamiltonfrench.com. Ward personnel, they're recruiting all types of carpenters. 021 While a part-time hotel receptionist is wanted to work in the Hibernian Hotel in Mallow. CVs, please, for the attention of Tracy to info at hibernianhotelmallow.com. And traffic management operative is wanted for the North Cork area. Now, a full, clean driver's licence is desirable 
Full training will be provided 086 873 You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Please go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. And actually, just hearing that jingle there, feel free to email the programme. Of course, you can email the programme at any time, whether we're on air or not. Cork today at uh, c103.ie. And Mary said there's a boarded up house in Butterwind. It's quite near the primary school. I often wonder why it is boarded up. But I'm telling you, Mary, I could open the phone lines now and ask everybody who lives in any part of Cork City or County are indeed nationwide. Uh, are they living close by or do they know of a boarded up house in their area? And everybody uh, will have examples, particularly on our main street. There's a lot of boarded up shops and and boarded up uh, buildings. Uh, We certainly have a problem with dereliction then when these houses are left and nothing is done about it. And the council try their best. They try to put in compulsory purchase uh, orders. But it's just the length of time it seems uh, to take. We spoke about electric cars in the last hour. Hi, Patricia. We have an electric car. It's a Peugeot 208. I have to say it is the best car to drive. We absolutely love it. Yeah, I think anyone who's made the switch and has managed to be able to afford to make this make the switch all say that it is a fantastic thing to do. But it's just the initial cost of buying the car. But I thought, you know, uh, Blake from from um, AA we're saying they are slightly coming down in price but as somebody's pointed out the big worry is to do with the batteries and I have a funny feeling I read an article mid last year or early last year to say that the price of the batteries is starting to come down and will start to come down I suppose the more and more people actually buy them but at the moment it's a delay actually trying to get a car to, if you want to get an electric car you could be waiting up to a year for yours to be delivered so that's yet another problem to add to the list of uh, why we don't have more electric cars out on the road and Jim says this is to do with trying to access a doctor Jim says I remember as a lad older people were always saying oh I sh- wish it was back the in olden times the old ways we always had it so much better now that I'm old myself I can see exactly what the older generation when, when I was growing up I can see exactly what they meant tell you my story I phoned the doctor for my wife she needs an appointment the earliest will be the 24th of February goodness me what date are we today where are we today the 18th we're the 18th of January 24th over a month away I was then told if it's an emergency dialed 9 now Uh, And yet we have the government thinking of giving a free medical card to everyone. Well, says Jim, if that goes ahead, when you'll be ringing your doctor, when everyone has a medical card and it'll be your next appointment is next year. Do you want to take it or not? Believe me, that's what will happen. Oh, please, please go back to the good old days when you walked in to your doctor's surgery. And if there was four or five people in front of you, all you did was a head count to work out who was in front of you and then you simply counted down. You knew your place. Everyone respected the code of practice as people came in. Uh, They all knew how many was in front of them. Nobody skipped the queues. (laughs) That is true. Copy with the good old times, uh, says Jim. And that is true. Nobody, (laughs) nobody skipped the queues. You just went in and you waited. And, you know, whether you waited a half an hour or an hour, sometimes, you know, if it was on a particularly busy day at your GP practice and you walked in and it was absolutely full, but you just sat down and you took 
took your turn and you waited and you waited for everybody then there might be if there was a very crowded situation it might be you're ahead you win here before me you're next and then I'm after you and there'll be conversations like that but everybody certainly did uh, respect the code of practice but I think the bigger issue Jim that we have is we don't have enough GPs and we have an ageing GP population as well so that means going forward we're going to have to have uh, we're going to have less uh, GPs How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. So an aging GP population, I know they're trying to train up more GPs. That's what they really need uh, to do. But if we're going to lose some of the GPs that are there, we have an aging population uh, overall. We have a population in this country that's growing. Everybody needs a doctor at some point in time. It, it all is very much becoming a perfect uh, storm. And I really don't think the solution to the problem, while I know that's, I'm sure that's part of Salonta Care, that everybody will be entitled to a free GP, while it sounds fantastic, there's no point having access to a free GP service if you can't get in to see a GP. I mean, it's just, uh, we certainly will need to have a lot more GPs before we can ever get to the stage uh, where we would be even contemplating, I think, everybody having uh, everybody being entitled to a free GP uh, service and actually can I say keep your fingers and toes and everything else that you have uh, crossed because you really don't want you are a, a family member needing to end up in an a an, an A&E because patients are facing into more years of hospital trolley gridlock with with serious flare-ups expected in winter to come. And that's a warning that has come straight from the horse's mouth. It came from the HSC yesterday. With weeks of overcrowding still to come, 
because of course we know we have high levels of flu it is slowly starting to recede but it's still going to lead to to many more weeks of overcrowding the grim prospect is uh, looming that every winter we're going to be faced with a similar problem and delays on people trying to get beds now it was the HSC's uh, chief executive he is Stephen Mulvaney he was we, he was speaking yesterday and he said the health service was simply playing catch up he said it's going to be a number of years uh, when during the year particularly at winter times we're going to be left with this level of additional pressure on the system he said the pressure will be measured by how many people are on trolleys the surge beds and he said it's an unfortunate reality and he said the catch up is needed because of a growth in the population also as I mentioned the increase in the number of people over the age of 75 and the pace at which the HSE can deliver extra beds and other alternative measures. Now he was before the, along with other health officials, they were before the Oireachtas Health Committee where he was being questioned about the HSE's handling and how prepared were they for what is now this this winter's worst trolley crisis that we've ever had on uh, record. And actually the chairman of the Oireachtas Health Committee is Sean Crow and he said that he simply didn't want to go into an emergency department when he became ill and his reluctance almost cost him his life. The, the Sinn Féin TD said that if he did not attend the A&E, his life-threatening sepsis would not have been discovered and diagnosed. And he said he also now has a concern that there are people who are really sick and they're fearful about going to the A&E. He said he was one of those people for a period of time. He had sepsis. He didn't know he had sepsis. And the only way the sepsis was diagnosed when he finally decided, I'm so sick, I've no other choice. And he went to the A&E and he says... If he hadn't done that, he wouldn't be here uh, today. Now, he he accepted that the HSE was met with this perfect storm. Obviously, there's huge levels of viruses uh, circulating. He also acknowledged that some hospitals phased something approaching a war zone. However, he pointed out that public frustration is centering on why this crisis wasn't planned for. He said a lot of people are saying, when when is it a good time to become uh, sick? And he outlined the difficulty that many people are having even getting a GP appointment. And there's Jim trying to get a GP appointment for his wife and she's got to wait until next month. Now, Mr Mulvaney from the HSE says it was not sustainable to ask staff to work longer than their contracted hours. And that has been happening in recent uh, weeks. And it was done, obviously, in the interest of patient safety. But he said going forward, that's not sustainable. He added that the HSE only asked people to consider options other than the A&E in times of significant patient uh, concern. And then he was asked if he believed if people had died due to the hospital overcrowding uh, crisis. And I held my breath when I listened to his answer because he said he could not be certain that no one had died because of the overcrowding. And he pointed to research showing that there was an association between increased risk of patient death and uh, delayed care. Now, he was further questioned by the Sinn Féin health spokesperson, David Cullinan, on whether the crisis was due to a failure in leadership. Now, obviously, he's in a leadership role in the HSC, so he insisted it wasn't. He added that while the HSC knew that a difficult winter was coming, he accepted that what occurred was way beyond their most pessimistic modelling. He said there had been uh, a substantial improvement in the situation over the past uh, week. With, and we have been hearing of a significant decrease in the number of patients on trolleys. But we still, we still, even with a decrease, there were still 561 souls lying on a trolley yesterday. People who were deemed sick enough 
by a doctor in the A&E department that they needed a hospital bed and 561 of them lay on a trolley yesterday waiting to get that uh, bed. So going forward, it's certainly not going to get any better in the uh, coming years. And that's, as I say, coming straight from the horse's mouth, the bosses at the top of the HSE. Now, last November, the then Thornishta, now Taoiseach, Leo Varadkar, caused a bit of a stir when the topic of emigration was the subject of discussion with Leo warning young people that were considering emigrating that rents overseas can be as high as Ireland and that the grass sometimes just looks greener. So what is life like for a newly emigrated young person? Journalist Kira O'Loughlin joins me from Sydney in Australia. Good morning to you, Kira. Good morning, Patricia. Thanks for having me on. Well, you're, you're very welcome to the programme and thank you for staying up because it's nearly 11 o'clock at night by my calculations. Yes, so it's night time here now. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know if you've got into the Australian way of life yet. They have a tendency to go to bed early, but they rise early in the morning. They do, and even if you're trying to get a coffee past four o'clock, like you can. So yeah, it's definitely up early and to bed early. But yeah, no, I'm still not completely there yet. Okay, now take me back. When and why did you decide to uh, emigrate to Australia? Yeah, so around kind of April, May last year, me and my friends have been looking for a two-bed apartment in Dublin together. We'd both been like living at home during the pandemic and we're just kind of dying to get out, get a bit of freedom. Um, I was living in North County, Dublin, so I kind of wanted to be a little bit closer to work and a bit close, more close to the city. Um, so we've been looking for months and I mean, going and daft at that time, there was just nothing popping up. So we sent, you know, I'd say close to 100 emails, you know, trying to get things. Um, we only secured two viewings, and I remember just being at one of the viewings, and it was like a really old, like cold flat, and they were asking us for maybe two grand, and it was like they were going to get it. There was other people who were at the viewing, and I had friends that were coming over just after Christmas, and it was kind of I didn't think I'd leave my job at home. I thought I was quite settled, but I was looking for something. But it was kind of in that moment where I was like, you know what, like I'm going to go, and yeah, the next day I applied for my visa, and then yes, yeah, since then I've just been saving up getting ready to come and I came over on the 30th of December so just after Christmas and but had it always been a part of your plan that you might spend some time overseas yeah well so before Covid I was actually planning on going to New York I was supposed to do um, the one year um, grad visa it's called but I was supposed to go in March 2020 and um, that completely fell through I lost three grand from it I actually ended up losing my job because I'd already handed in my notice. So I think from having that experience and then we were obviously pretty much stuck down for two years, I'd kind of put going overseas out of my head. I thought that was my time to go. I thought, oh, I'm 26. I know that's still very young, but I kind of got, I got the job in independent. I thought I was going to stay. But then it was really the rental situation that kind of switched for me. I just thought, if I can't get somewhere to live in Dublin, I'll just be at home for another few years. And even though it's great that I had the option to live at home, because a lot of my friends didn't have that option and were forking out, you know, 900 euro for a moldy room. Um, I was lucky. But yeah, I was just craving kind of getting out and getting a bit of freedom. Yeah, and you're getting to that age that you needed to be out from your childhood bedroom, I'm assuming you, you'd still be exactly, uh, yeah. <laughs> living in it. So you made the, made the jump. You moved to uh, Sydney in Australia. Uh, the rental market, bearing in mind what Leo Varadkar had uh, said, uh, rents are high in Australia, isn't it fair to say? Yes, yes, they're very high. And I think especially at the moment, I mean, coming over 
we we had a few friends that came over in November and we kind of knew from talking to people, you know, how much you should go over with, what you're kind of, you know, what you'll be expected to pay every month for rent. They're on all the rental websites before we came looking, kind of, what kind of budget we need. Um, but I suppose what shocked us the most when we got here, we knew it wouldn't be easy, but it was just the amount of people looking for something. I went to, there was one Saturday and between me and my friends, we went to 12 viewings and at all of them, there was over 100 people. I'd say close to 150 people looking for something. And when you arrived, you were couch surfing, was it? You you were staying with a friend? Yes. So we still are. Luckily, we actually got um, approved for an apartment yesterday. So we were delighted. But we can't move into that now for another two weeks. So we're still on the couch. Um, and how, how, how much will the rent on the apartment be? So it's nine. So it's $925 a week. So that turns out there's three of us going to be in it. It's about €800 each. Per month? Per month, yeah. Per month, okay. All right, okay. So you're happy with that and and, and, and that's all worked out. But is that that unfurnished? That's unfurnished, yes. That's one of the big expenses here. So when we're looking at it, like €800 a month to, you know, for a room you're sharing, I'm sharing with two other people. Um, it's a lot of money now compared to Dublin prices it's actually probably about the same um, but you are talking unfurnished so and it's not even just furniture like it you to get a fridge you to get a washing machine so you do have those expenses on top of it as well yeah that's that's very different uh, to back here at home but if you if very you had different. chosen to live in a different part of Australia um, than Sydney or perhaps even a different suburb of Sydney would it have been easier would it have been cheaper Yes, yes. Now, I'm not I'm not 100% sure about um, other cities. I know I think Melbourne is very popular as well, and it might be slightly cheaper. But here in Sydney, we since we got here, we've been looking at Randwick and Pussy, um, and we were kind of giving ourselves two or three weeks, and then if we couldn't get something, we were going to look out a little bit further. And you kind of get, you might be spending the same amount of money, but you might be getting something a bit bigger, you might be getting something with a pool, then again, you're a bit further out from the city. Well, I think the reason why, you know, there was these massive queues at all these viewings is that there's been an influx of Irish people coming over. Like, I was talking to a, a real estate agent in Sligo over, who works over here, and he said, you know, since Christmas, after Christmas, he's just seen so many people, and all the Irish kind of come to this area. So I think because there's been so many people coming from home, we've kind of nearly kicked ourselves in the foot, you know what I mean, trying to... I'll get something in the same area. So. Yeah, yeah, that 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 Randwick, Coogee, Bond, Bondi, it's always yeah. <laughs> it's always been the place that the Irish gravi- gravitate to. And 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 I take it, Kira, having a large Irish community around, does that help with the settling in and and indeed help you to get over say a bit of homesickness? Yeah, definitely. Like I came over with my friend and then it's actually her friends that we're staying with and I wouldn't have known them that well but I'm only here two weeks and you know know them really well we're getting on great and then everyone's in the gas clubs and you know it, it definitely does kind of give you that sense of community over here obviously I haven't I haven't been here very long so I haven't really gotten that home like homesick yet but I think in the future it will help but also at the same time I am keen to to make sure that I don't just talk to Irish people when I'm here as well. Get get to know the Australians and people from all over the world because it is it, it yeah. is certainly one of the one of those countries. And then what about work? Um, you've managed to secure work. 
yes, so I'll be starting a job in two weeks. So I actually got that very easily once I came over. So that was fine. I kind of applied for a few things before I came and then I didn't have to worry about it too much when I was here. It was more so just the apartment one thing we were doing. So, yeah. And pay and conditions, better or worse than Ireland? Similar? Pay pay it much better. Yeah, much better. Um, Like I know my rent will be i think i think there's they kind of said over here like 25 percent, 30 percent so um your wage on rent is kind of normal and then i know say teachers pay for example they get 35 percent better over here on average and then nurses are about 12 percent better and um, so it is much better but at the same time it's hard for me to see exactly yes kind of the cost of living like things, some things are more expensive some things are about the same it's kind of hard to tell yeah groceries are actually something that's a lot easier than Ireland mm. but the weather helps the weather really helps <laughs> it really does I actually as I say this I'm laughing because it's laughing rain oh. <laughs> but it, it is gorgeous and I mean when I, when I actually the first day I got here as well it was laughing rain and I was like oh my god where have I moved it and I was like wait of course it makes sense that it, it rains because it's very green over here. You know, when you go to Spain, obviously there wouldn't be as much greenery. It doesn't rain as much, whereas here, yeah, it is. The scenery is stunning. But that the rain has a tendency to stop, unlike Ireland, where we can go on for days and days and days. And you know that when the rain stops, the sun will come out and the temperatures will be nice and warm. Yeah, this is it. I keep forgetting that it's January as well. I can't get used to the fact that it's summer over here. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it is very strange. It's a, it's a very strange feeling. How did your family feel about you moving, Kira? Um, my mom, my mom was really upset. Um, I think we got very, we were always close, but during lockdown, I think especially because I was at home all the time. Um, she definitely, she definitely misses me. I mean, I think they all do, but at the same time, they were happy. They were happy for me to go, and because New York had fell through, I think this was something that. If I didn't do, I would have regretted it. And, you know, I can always, you know, home will always be there. And have you a long-term plan or is it too early to say? Yeah, probably too early to say. I mean, my visa's for a year. I'm coming out, I always said, I do the year and then go home. But when you're here, like, as I was saying to you earlier, that the place is unfurnished. It feels like a lot of money to be putting into something for only a year. I mean, by the time we have our apartment set up, it'll probably be March and then you know there's only nine months left then so and you can you can extend for a second year can't you so you can extend um you have to do three months farm work to get um a second year and then you'd have to do another three months the next year to get a third year or we can get sponsored um and you know a, a few a lot of people i've been speaking to have been sponsored so if that's i that's another say, option yeah, because I'm, yeah. I'm just wondering, what's your farm work like, Kira? Farm work, it, like it, it actually. Oh, sorry, what's my work yeah. like? <laughs> I've never done it before. No, <laughs> that could be it could be but a new experience. Can, exactly, it could be a bit of fun, but actually, um, everyone says farm work, but it's actually regional work. So you yeah. can do like 
you can work in say a hostel if it's in um, a remote area and stuff like that but you know maybe I should get out and, and do a bit of farm work come back and do that as well <laughs> and who knows my, who, who you might meet when you're down on the farm Kira. you never know exactly, uh, listen exactly. it's been a, it's been a real pleasure speaking to you uh, good luck with the move good luck with the new job and with the new apartment and thanks so much for taking time out to talk to us today no problem. Thanks, okay. Patricia. Have a nice day. Uh, you too. Bye bye. Bye bye. Or a nice evening. She's heading to bed. I take it. Have a good night's sleep. That is Kira O'Loughlin uh, joining us from Sydney in Australia, where she very recently, she's not even a month over there yet, uh, went to find out was the grass uh, greener. And at the moment, it is certainly looking a little bit greener than it was here at home. But it saddens me to hear that she moved purely on the rental situation. She was just you know not a hope of getting any place to rent now in fairness she was God help her trying to rent in uh, Dublin but that was the catalyst that made her apply for her visa to go down under You're listening to Cork Today on Replay Phone and text lines are currently closed John in McCroom is very annoyed and says he cannot believe that our semi-state company Quilta are selling land the size of County Dublin to a group called Gresham Investment. They are a British uh, investment uh, fund. Uh, John says Irish farmers could buy this land to farm and keep people in and on on rural land in Ireland. Instead of between five and six thousand being the market price for the land, Gresham are able to outbid local farmers and pay up to ninety thousand euro per uh, acre. Irish people must come uh, first. John says the proposal is to set off large chunks for forestry uh, and also reducing our national herd capacity by 25%. Does it not show there is an onslaught against rural Ireland by what John calls green ideology? There will be consequences long term for food security, jobs, housing are all at a risk from this ideology. People need to wake up in rural Ireland before it is too late our land and our agriculture are our greatest assets, says Johnny McCroom. And actually, we were hoping to talk about that deal by uh, Quinta because we only became aware of it. I think it was the Daily Mail last week had a piece. That's how we first became aware that Quilta were in negotiations with this uh, British investment company uh, to sell off land and they say it's all part of our climate action and meeting our climate re- climate requirements. Um, but it's causing consternation in the farming community and it's also causing consternation for uh, TDs, opposition uh, TDs, backbench TDs and obviously rural TDs. We were hoping to speak with uh, Jackie Cahill of Fianna Fáil before um, John Paul spoke with him yesterday and he was all set to chat with today but when we went to try to connect uh, with him he wasn't available we don't know why but we will press on and maybe try and get him on uh, later on in the week because it is certainly an issue that it because it's coming to people's attention it's kind of one of those things that happened and nobody seemed to know about it and suddenly when it went public people there are people who are up in arms about it and also there are people up in arms about a story that's breaking in the, in the news today and Dan is picking up on it to say Patricia the doll today are approving 2.5 billion euro to repair defective work in properties in Dublin. Whatever happened to builders' insurance and indeed holding these builders to account, some of whom would probably be involved in the repair work at the taxpayer's expense, says uh, Dan. And I know Barry touched on it on the news there. It has, the government have given now the full uh, approval. It's to fully, it's a fully funded scheme to repair up to 100,000 homes who have building defects.
defects. It was the Housing Minister, Darry O'Brien, uh, said remediation work already completed are currently underway and apartments and duplexes will all be covered by this new scheme. And Dan is right. The cost of the scheme will run to 2.5 billion euro and it will cover 100% of the costs, which is slightly different to the block controversy. They're not getting 100% of the uh, the costs, the people with the, the MICA uh, issues. Anyway, this is a, a different scheme. Uh, Darrell Bryan said that the fire safety seems to be the biggest issue with some of these apartments, followed by water ingress problems. The legislation uh, to establish the scheme with now it's now going to take a number of months to pass through the Oireachtas but it's got the official approval today and they're expecting that some payments will actually be made before the end of uh, this year. Uh, the measure is set to cover buildings that were constructed between 1991 and 2013 and the scheme is expected to be administered by the housing agent. Now how it's going to operate is that the owners management companies they will be the ones funded. So it won't be the owners will be handed the money. It'll be the management companies. They'll get the funds. They then will carry out the work, which will cover, as I say, the entire building cost to improve the safety for the occupants. The Thornish Semihol Martin has said property owners will be given some badly needed clarity through this new uh, scheme. He said the initiative is designed to benefit those who have significant defects in terms of their apartments and so on. And he added that the funding for the scheme will come from the Exchequer and that the issue now is to get on and get it it delivered. And I think that's Dan's problem. You know, nobody seems to be going back to the builders and say, you know, you've built these defective properties. Where's your insurance? Why are they... Why are they not chasing down the builders, even though I did hear in the news that there was there is some talk about it. But for now, all the money is going to come from the exchequer. Now, Dan in his text is saying it's Dublin. And so do I take it from that? It's only Dublin properties. Are there any properties here, for example, in Cork? I did see uh, Eamon O'Boyle, who is the fire, fire safety consultant and a former assistant fire chief with Dublin Fire Brigade he said there's a huge amount of defective apartments and I'm assuming he's talking about Dublin and he expects that there will also be issues with hospitals that were built during that time, hotels and nursing homes. He, he, he says a lot of the problem was that many of the buildings have no cavity barriers so if God forbid a fire was to break out in one apartment the smoke would simply travel through the cavity and then into all of the other apartments. He said there are barriers put into these to prevent that happening and that's one of the things that's missing in many of these uh, apartments and he also pointed out that it's going to be a very difficult thing to rem- to remediate so that might explain why 2.6 billion is going to be needed and they reckon the number of how apartments and duplexes is around the 100,000 mark but the money is coming from the exchequer 0818 John Paul continues to take your calls on oh on boarded up properties when we were talking about the, the case with that gentleman who was found in Mallow I asked the question to Ralph Regan and he said nobody knows who boarded it up and you know did anybody check? Well, obviously nobody checked before they boarded it up. Nobody would have boarded up a house knowing that there was a, the remains of a, of a gentleman uh, inside. But that, that led to people talking about derelict buildings and uh, how we have this number of boarded up properties all over the city and county and indeed all over the country. And Gary says he personally knows of somebody who was left a house. Basically what happened was the father passed away and the house was left to 
one of the sons. The son didn't want the house. So he went to the council and said, look, are you interested in this house? Um, but the council, for whatever reason, were not interested in it. I'm, I'm assuming the son wanted to sell it onto the council. Did, he, did they just want to give it? Anyway, the council weren't interested in it. The son wasn't interested in it, so the house became uh, a derelict. Now, he said since then, the house has been purchased uh, and obviously has been changed from a derelict property into a property that somebody can live uh, in but he was making the point that the gentleman who inherited the house and the council uh, none of them wanted liability for this problem so it was left to fall completely into uh, dereliction so he says when you see a house there's normally a story behind it nobody but nobody just walks away and boards up a property there's often a story behind why it has become derelict and why it's become uh, boarded up and then somebody James is a bit annoyed with some of the commentary that was made by when I was chatting with Ralph about uh, poor Timmy O'Sullivan who was found and he said in relation this is emailed to Cork today at c103.ie in relation to the story about Timmy O'Sullivan found dead in the Mallow townhouse I had to laugh when I heard the, the guy that was Ralph Regal of the Irish Independent defending the great people of Mallow I moved near Mallow 20 years ago myself and I might as well have been dead for all the interest that Mallow people had in outsiders I am a true blooded Irishman from Cork but I might as well have been a foreigner poor Timmy never joined a local club or kept to himself was the excuse given for ignoring him where are you from is the most common question I hear in Mallow I feel so sorry for all the non-nationals living there Mallow people will change the narrative on any story that doesn't paint them in the best possible light the truth is irrelevant defend your own at all costs I'm ashamed to be Irish sometimes says James that's quite a strongly uh, worded email I have to say I, I come in defence of Mallow people I moved here 30 years ago and I have to say I'm, I'm, I have felt very accepted and very loved and I've made some really good friends in Mallow and I think people if I was to move in the morning will remain friends of mine for the rest uh, of my life I'm saddened to think that uh, no, nobody had any interest in you but you know James the flip side is that that is did you go out and try and become interested in people in Mallow or in organisations in uh, Mallow and that line about where are you from, I don't think that's necessarily a Mallow thing. I think that's an Irish thing. We always inevitably ask somebody, and where are you from? And certainly if we pick up any kind of an accent, we'll always ask, and where are you originally from? I certainly know it's something that I, I do, and I mean it in a kind way. I certainly don't, uh, don't mean to be prying, or I don't mean that, oh, you must be an outsider. I certainly don't mean it in that line. So I think you're a little bit unfair. You're entitled to your views, but I just wonder what lens did you go to to try to integrate as well? Because in Integration works both ways. You know, a society and a community can be as generous and as welcoming of people. But if the person doesn't want to be welcomed, then all of the welcoming in the world is certainly not going to work. We uh, Thank you for your email, though, to Cork today at uh, c103.ie. Now, we were talking about electric cars earlier. That prompted John, who is a mechanic, to contact us. He says electric cars would be absolutely useless on a frosty, snowy, cold morning like we had this morning. So we wondered why. He says the reason is there's no engine in the front. All our petrol and diesel cars at the moment have weight in the front because that's where the engines are. He said there's no way an electric car would have pulled you up any kind of an icy hill this morning. Going forward with electric cars, he says you'll be dealing with technicians not with mechanics going into the future when you're going to, you know, have a service done. A trip to the garage will also, he said, become very expensive because the car will have to be put on a machine. Electric cars are cheaper to run now at the moment 
John says, mark his words, wait until the majority of the population make that switch to electric. Then suddenly there'll be a new tax put on electric cars and on the charging points. Ford, he said at the moment, are moving to fully electric cars and they'll be doing that in the next two years. They're not manufacturing any hybrids. The cost of a Ford Puma at the moment is about €33,000 at the moment. That in two years time, when it is a fully electric model, will rise to 52,000 euro. And that's the problem with the electric cars. They're being outpriced, priced for more and more people. 0818 103 103. And just one more comment coming in. This is from Mary in Mitchellstown, who said uh, uh, they went out for a family meal. It was in a city restaurant. That's as much as we're saying, because... Uh, we can't name the restaurant because we'd get into all kinds of problems because we'd have to prove that they were there and on the day they were there and everything. Anyway, uh, it's, 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 it doesn't really matter about the name of the restaurant anyway. It's to do with Mary is wondering how others feel they're treated when they're going out lately, if you are going out for a meal. There were seven of them in total went for this family meal. Now, they'd booked it well in advance and they sat down. It was a, it was a daytime affair. So it was half two in the afternoon. They got their starters and their main courses started to arrive. Now Mary said her niece had ordered a steak. She specifically said, I want that steak done, well done. But when the steak arrived, as soon as she cut into it, guess what? There was blood coming out of the steak. She called back the waiter and said, sorry, I asked for my steak, well done. So a manager ended up coming over to the table and said, do you realise how much this is going to cost us to have to now cook up a steak and do it well done? But she made the point, I'm sorry now, sir, but I did ask you for it well done when I ordered my meal. Then after the meal, we ordered drinks and at about 10 to 5, the barman came over and said, you need to finish up, please. Uh, there seemed to be some time limit and the table was needed for the next group of guests. We were never told when we booked there was a time limit. Overall, I was disgusted with how we were uh, treated. Uh, OK, from half two. So we were there from half two until uh, five. That's, yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, usually if you do book a table like that and they know that there's another group coming in at five o'clock and they're going to need the table. I mean, I have booked in restaurants and I have been in restaurants where they'll say, yes, you can have that table, but you're going to have to be gone by at five because we have another group uh, coming in. But normally you're told about it in advance. So I'm surprised to hear that there was a time limit and you weren't told about the time limit. And I'm also scratching my head on the manager's comment. Um, your niece's steak, if it wasn't cooked well enough and you wanted it well done, Surely they just bring it back into the kitchen and throw it back onto the pan and cook it further. Would they, would, would they from, what, from what the manager said, they dump that not well done steak and then start from scratch and cook another one. Now, I need a chef to tell us, is that what happens if somebody returns a steak that they specifically asked for? well done it's very different if somebody didn't specify when they were ordering it that they wanted well done and there are some people who could not contemplate the idea of eating red meat if there was blood coming out of it other people would say it's the best way to eat red meat but you know whatever floats your boat some people just couldn't tolerate having any blood on the plate but if it's sent back into the kitchen can they not just fry it off so that it is well done to suit the requirements of uh, Mary's niece 
I would need a chef, please, to correct us on that on uh, that one. But it's disappointing if you felt that you were being rushed away then at the end. Are others noticing it, noticing that there's time limits being placed now on uh, tables and that people aren't getting what they actually ordered? 0818 103 103. John Paul, taking your calls. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. Now, so far for tonight, the only cancellation we're hearing about is the one that we mentioned earlier, and it's a 45-car drive that was due to go ahead in Rockchapel Community Centre, and they've decided to cancel that because of the weather forecast. Bingo now, uh, bingo books for home bingo are now on sale in Kildallery. This week's snowball prize is €400. Kildallery Community Development, they'll have their weekly lotto draw also, uh, that's tomorrow, uh, in the community office with a jackpot of €6,900. And tomorrow is the day for the used clothes collection, which is going to take place at Gagan Hall tomorrow evening from half past six until half past seven. And on Friday night, the presentation of funds for from the Christmas lights at Michael and Chrissy O'Mahony's house in Kilbarry in Dunmanway will take place at the Parkway Hotel in Dunmanway. It's happening this Friday evening at half past nine. The guest appearance on the night will be from the only Munster contestant for the 2023 Glore Tira, that's Molly O'Connell. Music will be by Finbar Dennehy and family with special guests, uh, artist Teddy Crowley. Everyone very welcome to go along. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. This is the Court Today replay on C103. Next Sunday, the Highland Inn Market will be the venue for a very special fundraising night with all proceeds going to the Mick Cronin Appeal. Uh, Kiskame native Mick suffered life-changing injuries in a workplace accident and the fund was set up to facilitate Mick's return to his family home in Wilton. Now, before we discuss the plans for Saturday night, I'm joined on the phone line by Ryan McCarthy, who is Mick's brother-in-law. Good afternoon to you, Ryan. Hi Patricia, how are things? I'm, how are you? I'm I'm very good, and, and and thank you for taking time out to talk to us today. I suppose the big question is, how is Mick doing at the moment? Well, I think that the last time we were uh, on with you, Patricia, you were you were kind enough to give us time to promote the matches for Mick in Bishopstown in and around March. Um, at, at, at that time, I suppose uh, it hadn't been too long since the accident, but since then, Mick has spent some time at the National Rehabilitation Hospital in Dunleary. Uh, he was up there from April till the start of uh, December and the November, and during that time, he's he's become stronger, definitely, uh, and thankfully, uh, he's now back down in CUH, uh, where he's just currently awaiting the recruitment of some carers by the HSE to enable him or to facilitate him to go home to his family who are nearby in in Wilton, Patricia. So, and this is, fund, that's what this fund was all about, Ryan, from day one was Mick wanted to go home and his family wants him home. Exactly, Patricia. I mean, um, the great thing that we've been able to do, we've, we've set up the Mick Cronin Trust uh, Fund and under our trustees, we've been able to do a lot of work in terms of the modifications necessary to the home to make sure that Mick can return to his family and have the, the best quality of life possible uh, in the house. And without that support uh, from the people of, of Cork and indeed beyond, that wouldn't have been possible. And I know 
including what's happening this Saturday night with the committee there in Donegal, Connor, the, the former Cork footballer. Just the support that we've received from the people of Cork and all over, Patricia, has been phenomenal. And I suppose coming out of a difficult kind of a COVID period and, you know, you're, you're kind of looking around and thinking uh, what's becoming of things, just to, to see the goodness of people during difficult times and how they've reached out to the Cronin family and have supported them has been fantastic and what it's enabled us to do the Mick Cronin Trust uh, has been fantastic. But I remember at the time, Ryan, when we first started talking about what had happened to Mick and, and the fundraiser that was set up, I remember countless people pointed out that if the shoe was on the other foot, Mick would have been one of the first out to get stuck into fundraising to help other people. Well, he's, he's one of the most assuming men <clears throat> that you could ever meet, Patricia. I mean, I'm sure... He's, he's probably listening right now and kind of wondering what all the fuss is about. <laughs> and, and, and that's the type of fella he is. Um, I said at the time when I was on to you that probably every club in the country has a has a Mick Crone and he's one of those people that for whatever particular job that you need from training the young lads to doing a bit of work around the club, you pick up the phone, you ring Mick and then he's very in, in unassuming way will ask you what he can do and that's no problem. And I think like, these, these kind of people in our communities are the unsung heroes that we have. And like I know he's, he's looking forward to Friday uh, and he's looking forward to the event itself. But I suppose in another way, knowing Mick, he's wondering, you know, what what is all the fuss for me about? But I can tell you, the thing that we all respect in him is the mental strength that he has shown since uh, the accident. And I, I think it's been quite phenomenal. And from, from going to see him and visiting him, I know he's just a no-fuss character. I've, I've never heard him say a word that has felt, you know, down in his own self. I mean, he's he's a, an outward-looking guy. He's a he's a very helpful guy. He's a, a, a kind fella. Um, but he's, he's the type of guy that people in every club throughout the country know. Um, and certainly uh, in the past when people have been in need of help, Mick has always been the one to, to step forward. So look, even this Friday night, I'm sure the lads in the committee and for other things that we've done would say, say the exact same, that... Nick would be the first to step forward if we needed it as well, Patricia. Well said. Well, well, well said. And and you know, I know the accident happened at the sort of the back end of of twenty twenty one. So it's it's well over uh, a year. It's it's been a very difficult uh, time for a Mick. Was Dunleary the big? Did that make the big difference when he moved to Dunleary? Uh, I I think look at uh, over the year the thing that's stood out for me whether it's been what periods of time or what what has made the difference is there's there's two things that Mick has always shown incredible mental resilience and strength and and his form and his mood has always been good I mean Mick is still the same Mick uh, I go in to see him and it's still the same slagging that we're, we were giving each other <laughs> uh, and second to that is the support you know from the community in Bishopstown and in Wilton and, and wider in Cork, back to his his home people in Kishgame, <clears throat> Newmarket, Duhallow, um, his people that he knows in Kerry, wider in Galway, even over to America where he would have worked for a time in the mid-90s. Well, we've just had phenomenal support from people across the board. And I think that's just, look, it's testament to making the character that he is that so many people were willing to give their time, which I think I've learned is the major contribution that you can give. Now, obviously, the, the practical contributions to the fund were phenomenal, but in terms of the time that people have given and the support they've given to the family has been has been huge. So I think overall, al- along the way, those two things married to each other, mix Mick's own strength and, and his unassuming manner and the help that people are willing to give has just made it such a, I suppose, such a sad kind of um, 
an accident into actually something uplifting that you can see uh, a bright future now ahead, hopefully, for Mick, you know. And Mick's wife, uh, Karen, and, and the two children, it's been a very difficult time for them as well, Ryan. How are they getting on? Very much in the manner of Mick, very, very unassuming. They're, they're not the kind of family who would feel entitled to anything or feel that they're in any way different or noteworthy to anybody else. And again, look at just as a, a family member sta- standing back and observing. Karen has been fantastic, has always looked on what can be done rather than what can't be done. The kids have been so level-headed for me as an adult looking at the two of them. I've been, you know, so proud of the two of them and how they've been so level-headed. And look at, I think when you when you take that lead from, from Mick himself and, and the way, as I say, I keep going back to the word and assuming or the kind of normal guy that he is, we've all taken our lead from, from the family and it's been kind of a no-fuss, no-drama situation, which might sound a bit strange, but, you know, from, okay, the initial period of shock, what, what always has been the focus since then is what can be done rather than what can't be done. And I, I could, really couldn't speak highly enough of, of Karen and the kids there. Okay, They're well a phenomenal done. family. Well done and pass on our best wishes uh, to them all. And it's all about getting Mick home. That's what it's all about. Listen, Ryan, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us uh, uh, this afternoon. Um, Patricia, uh, thanks for the time. No, no, our, our pleasure. Now, Garold Murphy is in uh, studio, who is the organiser of the event this weekend. Uh, good afternoon to you, Garold. Hi, uh, Ryan was saying Friday. It's Saturday, though, isn't it? Uh, yeah, it's I sa- did, Saturday I think he night. just got a bit carried away. Yeah. Yeah, I, d- I, d- I didn't want to jump in and say you've got the wrong, the wrong night. Now, tell me what you're organising and what's the plan for next Saturday night. Yeah, so I suppose, like Ryan said there, um, Donnacoe O'Connor and myself early last year looked about organising a... An over 35s team to play in a few tournaments and um, I suppose part of that we wanted to maybe give something back so we decided that maybe we'd look at a f- an idea where we do a bit of fundraising and we were both aware of the uh, the Micron situation so we said if we if we got a group of lads together and played in a few tournaments we could raise the awareness and maybe raise um, maybe organize a night for Mick and it kind of snowballed from there we decided that you know a no-brainer would be because he was such a GA man and a sportsman that we'd try and organise something where we'd get some legends together, sports legends, particularly from the GA world, and um, I suppose have a night for Mick and uh, give something back that way. And we we set out about I suppose to do two things to to play in the tournament and win it, which we did for Mick, and we wore jerseys on the day with the Micron and the Peel, um, and organised this this night, which is on Saturday night in the Highlands. Okay, so um, who's who's going to be there, and and who are you expecting to turn up? Yeah, so we have Colin Parkinson as our MC. Um, the ex-leash footballer, he runs his own podcast now. And, you know, I think for the first thing to say, everybody we asked said yes straight away. And it's, no it's just been phenomenal. Yeah. We have uh, Joe Brawley as our special guest. And then we have our Cork legends, Jimmy Barry Murphy, uh, Larry Tompkins, Rena Buckley, Sean O'Gahalpine, Graham Canty and Billy Morgan. So Brilliant. it should be a great night. And uh, we have music as well after. We've decided to split the night. So I suppose... The way we organise it is that if you want to come to a night with the legends, it's 50 euros uh, for a ticket, okay. um, which which is great value. And then as well, we have the Cayley All-Stars playing after. So if people would like to come along to the music after, it's 20 euros at the door and okay. the doors will open around half past 10. And we aim to kick our show off at 7.45 on Saturday night with doors opening at 7 o'clock. Now, do people need to pre-book or is there going to be tickets available on the night? Yeah, so we have tickets available, right? We will have some tickets available at the door. We have a large um, chunk of tickets sold already. I could well um, imagine. With a lineup like that, it's going to be great. Absolutely. And we, we have some phone numbers online 
there is four different people that people can contact if they want to ring and book a ticket. Yeah. Um, but what I would say really is that we're into the last couple of days that people should, you know, get on to us fairly quickly because um, it's very, very close to being sold out. But yeah. we hope to have some and tickets. As, as I mentioned in the introduction, you know, um, Mick is a, is a Kiss Game native and, you know, Ryan spoke about how the how the family are reacting to, you know, being blown away by by the support. There is a huge amount of support for Mick in the Duhallow area, isn't there? Huge. And I suppose that's that's the big thing we, we knew of Mick being a huge supporter of, you know, GA and Duhallow and, and Cork. Um, and it was phenomenal. Like, you know, we had players from all different clubs in Duhallow. It, it snowballed very quickly. Uh, the WhatsApp group was up to nearly 50, 60 people at, at one stage. And um, we ended up playing in two tournaments with, with lads rowing in from, from all different clubs in Duhallow. So it has been... An unbelievable response. It's great. It's, yeah. it's great. And I suppose it's one of those stories as well. You know, it was a tragic work accident. Uh, they were, for the grace of God, go any of us. You never know. You head out to do a normal day's work and, and something can Absolutely. happen. It's, 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 it's incredible. And all going well and fingers crossed, the hope is that Mick will be in attendance. Yeah, that's that's the huge thing. We, we got yeah. word of that recently, I think early in the week. And if, if, if Mick is there, it'll make the night, you know, all, all the more special. And... Um, yeah, we're, we're looking forward to, to seeing Mick and uh, I think all the guests are looking forward to seeing Mick as well if it happens. So it should be a great night. OK, and the, as he's getting that. He's at CUH, so he's very, very close. He's, he's spitting distance to yeah. getting home to Wilton. Yeah. OK, listen, Grode, best of luck with it on Saturday night and well done to everybody who's getting involved on behalf Thank of you. the Mick uh, Cronin Trust Fund. 0818 103 103, lines open. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. This is Cork Today on C103. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork Today at C103.ie. I've just spotted a lovely WhatsApp in from Catherine in Dunmanway. Thank you for your WhatsApp. And no doubt, Catherine, uh, picking up on my chat in the last hour with uh, Kiro Lachlan, the journalist who has decided to move to Australia. And the, what prompted her was she couldn't find affordable accommodation in Dublin where she was working. Uh, so she had friends who had already gone to Australia and she said to make the jump. And we were, of course, tying it all in with uh, Leo Varadkar warning young people about against immigration, against emigrating, saying the grass isn't always uh, greener, even though it looks like Kira is uh, enjoying her life in Australia so far. Anyway, Catherine Dunmanway is back on to us because she said, you might remember me from last year between missing parcels. And I do clearly remember speaking to Catherine about parcels that she had sent out to her daughter and and the grandson then was about to be born and there was huge excitement and all of that and there was passports went missing and visas and there was lots of different things going on. Uh, anyway, she's got two daughters, Gronia and Katie, who are both in Australia and of course their grandson uh, Ace and uh, son-in-law Kyle. Anyway, Catherine messages to say both my husband and I are travelling there in 12 sleeps, not counting down or anything. We'll be spending five weeks with them. I think it's great for our young people to travel and maybe if our politicians had experienced living in other countries in their own past, maybe they might have a little bit of better understanding of what life is really like. The community of Irish people who live in Melbourne, and that's where Catherine's daughters live, have each other's backs, finding jobs for each other and accommodation. The young boys and girls who we would have had at birthday parties and played matches over the years in our house with our own children are now all living and working. And even some of them have their own businesses in Australia. And the way they look after each other is simply commendable. While some 
will return. Others will make their lives down under. But what broad minds and ideas they will return with. The Irish have a great name there and are always so heavily in demand. Enjoying the show as usual. Happy New Year, says Catherine. Well, many happy returns and safe travels travels to you. I can sense the excitement in your text uh, heading off and to see your grandson. And it's going to be just so, so wonderful. And you're right uh, about that Irish community looking after and minding each other. I mean, it was one of the points that Kira made when she was house hunting in the parts of Sydney. She wanted in, in Ranwick and Coogee and Bondi. That's where all the Irish have emigrated to and she wants to stay within that community because there's safety in that community and they do look out for each other. But she said she's going to make, she's not just going to stick with the Irish, she'll make friends with others uh, as well. But there is a great community spirit and they do very much look out for each other. And you're right, some will come back and uh, they'll come back with a much broader outlook on life for sure and others uh, will decide uh, to stay but that, isn't that the way it's always been the Irish we've always been famous for travelling around the world and we are great workers and we, we are certainly respected as good workers no matter where we go we go to and, and the, what that's very much been reflected in Australia at, at the moment and even in Canada I know there's a big push at the moment it saddens me when I see it for our, for our doctors and nurses because they are so highly trained and other countries really trying to get them to and encourage them uh, to move there and that saddens me at the moment because we need them so much here in uh, this uh, country and people are still on about electric cars um, somebody said electric cars are heavier than their counterparts is that in reaction to somebody it, that was that well in fairness it was the mechanic said that the cold weather would have affected the electric cars and in fairness even Blake from the AA said that the cold weather affects the electric cars and then Dan said on that chat with the guy from the AA and his trip using the all electric car I thought it was more than ridiculous to be talking about a trip that he did in a Mercedes car that cost well over €130,000. I'm not sure the point of the trip when he used a car that is so out of the reach of the average person, says Dad. I was a bit taken aback as well when he said how much the car was costing. But I think part of the reason for doing it was to highlight and to show uh, charging facilities and the lack of charging facilities. I mean, that's why the Deliberty went up the west of Ireland now in that very expensive car with the very big battery. Uh, they were certainly able to do it, but most smaller electric cars wouldn't be able to make that journey without stopping. And I know the government, as we uh, speak, are talking about making sure that there are charging uh, points. I think it was at every 60 kilometres. 0818103103. And some, some people who might be considering buying electric cars could actually be living in Middleton because last night, Euro Millions Plus draw for a half a million euro was won in Middleton. The winning ticket was bought at McCarthy's News at, on Main Street in Middleton and we sent our C103 reporter John Cashman from the Sports Department. He caught up with Rebecca Walsh who is the School Secretary and Lotto Coordinator at St Coleman's Community College in Middleton where the Lucky Syndicate scooped last night's prize. No, that's the wrong one. Sorry, this is it. So, Rebecca, many congratulations. Fantastic news. Thanks very much, John. We were absolutely delighted with the win. We've been doing the lottery for many years, and we've never had any luck. At the beginning of the year, staff, staff members sign up, and they each take a turn every week um, on behalf of the syndicate. Last, last night's ticket was a particularly special one, as it was done in memory of a colleague, Maeve Barry, who sadly passed away in November. I used the winnings last night to do it in her memory, 
and we believe that she was really looking down on us as it is, today is a very special day. When did the news break, Rebecca? When did you find out that you had one? So this morning when I checked the ticket, um, it told me that I had to contact Lottery HQ because we had one big. It was uh, the longest hour of my life because I had to wait till quarter past nine to contact them and it was them that told me that I had one very big this morning. And obviously huge excitement here, 64 staff members uh, really celebrating together. It's absolutely amazing. Um, 64 people are very much better off this morning. Um, so it's all down to Maeve Barry. Thank you. Isn't that gorgeous that they did it in one of their co-workers, Maeve Barry's uh, memory? That really is such a sweet uh, story. And congratulations to everybody at St. Coleman's Community College, all 64 of them. And they're divvying up a half a million euro between them. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards with you for the afternoon. We'll talk to you tomorrow at 10. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide.